Welcome to show number five of Where Are We Going? I'm Jason Weedle. On today's show, we explore societal changes, generational changes, cultural changes, and how they are affecting the church, especially relating to technology, to social media, to the way we interact with each other. Several years ago, writers and thinkers in the church began to talk about social and cultural change, dramatic social and cultural change, and how it would be affecting the church, the way we interact with each other, and the way people interact with the church and therefore with God. We started to look at postmodernism, the effects of technology, the effects of social media, the effects of the internet upon society. Several years ago, a lot of books were written about these topics. A lot of people made predictions about what would be happening in coming years. And now we know that some of those predictions are certainly not happening, but we still know that profound and dramatic changes are happening because of technology. It's still a bit of a mystery for us often how we navigate the world around us, how we know how to communicate in a world where often communication is instantaneous, and yet often communication is very distant and impersonal. It seems we're still at the very edge of this new world that's being created by the internet which is connecting all of us. For some of us it might seem that the internet, that technological changes that enable a different kind of communication are not something that should affect the church, yet these changes are affecting every area of life they are affecting us as human beings. And changes that affect us as human beings will affect the church and the way we carry on as the people of God. I talked with Bruce Reyes Chow, who has written a book about social media and the church's use of social media. We talked about what we can learn and understand We all should be understanding more about the use of technology and the way it's affecting us. Yeah, I'm a Presbyterian minister here in San Francisco. I've been pastoring for about 20 years. Uh, Pastored a small church, uh, but also did a church plant here in uh, the city of uh, young adults, young progressive Presbyterians, Christ-centered kind of thing. Uh, did that for about 15 years, and now I 
uh, write and speak and show for my kids around the city most of the time. <laughs> and you've written a book about the use of social media in the church. Can you mention that? Say a little bit about yeah, it? Yeah, so, yeah, the the title of the book is, it came out of three years ago, and now it's, uh, well, we're in our revision now. The title book was The Definitive-ish Guide to Using Social Media yeah. in the Church. Um, and we put the ish on there because we knew that things would change, and there wasn't going to be just one way to approach this. It was going to be particularly through my lens and my experience. Um, and it's only an ebook uh, because we also understood that technologies would change so quickly that to do a hardcover book that was a 30,000-foot level look and a hands-on would need to be updated pretty regularly. Yeah. So, um, so, that's, so, the, so the book is uh, it's about 90% done for the second edition, um, but it does. It gives, it's the, the unique thing I think about it is it gives a 30,000, here's why things have happened, is all the way to here's what you do tomorrow. So we try to um, have it be kind of a, a go-to guide for anybody in the church who wants to use social media well. Yeah. What are your kind of what are your kind of big perspective thoughts about what we're seeing the effects of social media or just technology yeah. in general? Yeah, so I think I see kind of as a cycle, right? Things have happened culturally that have birthed social media and allowed social media to take root, you know, how people are mobile, how technologies have changed, how, how some countries are based on on lines and wires and others are able to go wireless. There's um, uh, lots of different ways that the world has changed. Um, I think one of the biggest ones is, you know, monolithic uh, experiences of the world to niche experiences of the world. You know, when we had, uh, I, I talked with folks, you know, like about Budweiser, right? Budweiser used to be the beer, and now you walk into any beer aisle, and there's, you know, 40 different microbrews. Yeah. Churches are the same way, right? It used to be denominations or one kind of association, but now there's these niche churches of all kinds from house church to uh, church plants to mega church all these things and that the world has changed in that way and social media has allowed people to experience the world in a niche way uh, that so the cycle has has kind of fed itself. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest things. And then mobility and how people just experience community uh, is different. I mean, there's lots of different things that, that social media both uh, come out of and reinforces. Um, and I don't actually see them any as any of them inherently good or bad. Uh, and, and so I don't I don't think mobility is bad. I think it's how do we understand as the church understanding some mobility when people aren't going to be in our pews for 30 years and have to pay their dues for two years before we ask them to serve coffee you know what does it mean for us to have people that we may only have for six months or a year uh, uh, and get them involved and engaged and social media allows us to do that much faster than than we were ever before what do you see as where do, where do you think we're going what do you see as the kind of trajectory of the church in those you know, you, you talk about social media kind of feeding a, a niche, a niche mentality. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I, I think that uh, folks are going to have to see church beyond structures and uh, regulation. And, you know, people, we've talked about this for a long time in a lot of church settings where it's it's more relational. But we've always seen that as a... As, as mutually exclusive from the institution. Whereas, I, so I think now, so my tradition, I come out of the Presbyterian Church. Um, we need to be able to be Presbyterian in a multiple, in multiple ways. So not just 
the generic 90% of our churches look like on Sunday in worship and in structure. But we have to say, is it, does it mean Presbyterian? It means you worship in a particular way? Or is it our theology and what we believe and it manifests itself in different ways? So my hope, my positive hope is that every tradition will manifest itself in different ways to fit the niche that brings them back to the core values and core theological beliefs of that particular tradition. That's my hope. My, my fear is that we don't have the capacity to do that, and that most of us actually like to equate uh, our institution uh, with our faith. And I think that's that's going to be a struggle. So, you know, I, I'm very hopeful, and, and then there are times I see where uh, I'm not sure we really want to make the shift. Yeah. You know, one of the... Um things that we hear around the use of a lot of kinds of technology is that uh, we adjust the way we communicate, but we don't adjust the message. Do you think that technology does affect the message? Uh, I think it, 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 it can. I think it's, again, it's a cycle. I think that when, um, you know, when I I work with churches, part of what I do is consult with churches and do uh, coaching with pastors and that, if it's just a tactic and a strategy, it will fail. So if you're just doing it in order to save the church, you know, at a very base level, um, it will fail because you're basically bait and switching people. So you're you're using this tactic, but it doesn't really come out of who you are. Yeah. And so I, I think that part of using it well is claiming it in the capacity in which you claim it. So for instance, I, I quit social media all like to music. It's just a medium of delivering the message. So if you if if you if you decide oh oh no we have to do you know contemporary praise music whatever when that, that was the big trend when a choir did that it sounds awful because that's not exactly who they are that's not them and so it felt disingenuous I think the same thing can happen when people try to communicate in a way that isn't genuine to who they are as people so you know you can be 60 and try to use technology and if that's not who you are it's going to fall flat. But you could be 60, and if that's like makes total sense for you, then it does. In the same way, if you're a young preacher, um, I think sometimes folks expect you to use all this technology, but that may not be who you are as a preacher. You need to. You're you're a homiletician, and you know that's that's kind of your your vibe. So, my my thing with all this technology and social media is it has to be true to who you are as an individual, as a community, as a congregation, as a denomination. Um, otherwise, it, it really yeah, – we, we basically lie to people. We, we trick people. And yeah. I think today, days and age, there's so many choices that if, if we're going to be disingenuous, uh, we deserve to not have people come to us. Social media is not the thing that is changing our culture. It's a piece of the big picture. It's a piece of the technological and information revolution that is completely changing the way not just we act and communicate, but the way we think. It's changing the way we relate to each other, the way we work, the way we play, the way we travel, the way we do everything. Many of us don't realize the extent of this change. Jamie Notter is a writer and consultant. He examines 
the way cultural change especially is affecting the workplace. I talked with Jamie about a lot of the changes going on with social, social media, with the emergence of millennial generation, with technology in general. And he had some great insights for what's going on around us and what we can expect to see in coming years. I mean, we see a, a, a big move towards transparency, I think, in organizations. That's, again, a fits, I think, in line with, with what's been happening with social media where, where information is suddenly you know, available to everybody. But uh, a lot of organizations are making things more visible I mean, we wrote about this in Humanize, actually, about um, how Whole Foods shares all of its salary and bonus data internally. Like, they're not the only ones to do this. Um, and that sort of freaks people out. Like, you can't do that. You can't share that information. But they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's just plenty of organizations now that are learning how to make things more visible internally. Well, and externally, but mostly internally, uh, in order to get better decisions. Like, that's... That's what people miss. It's like we're not just sharing information because it's nice to share. We're sharing information because when everybody has it, the right people make the right decision at the right time. Sure. Uh, and, the, and the whole system gets smarter uh, when you do that. And so um, that's just it, – it's creating incredible speed uh, that we wouldn't have predicted would happen, I think, when you do this. You know, that, that just as you were talking, it made me kind of think about uh, – maybe it's because of some of the stuff that I've been focused on, but I've been having some conversations with people about the Pope and the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and why is the Pope popular? And I'm not Catholic, but um, you know, we see, a, I think, more popularity of the Pope than I have ever seen, at least mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And do you think that that has something to do with the transparency that he is maybe bringing to the Catholic Church? Yeah, and I'm, again, I'm I'm no expert on the Pope either, um, but. Uh, I do sense a certain that's it's it's really it's sort of that same kind of uh focus on the user right like it's that same concept it's mm. like it's much less about the established hierarchy and the organization and the institution and what it like the like the old model is you be you're very careful about what you say and you you craft it perfectly because it's coming from the top right so this has sure. to be perfect and I get the sense he's more like I'm actually about the people who are practicing this religion like sure. that's what I'm focused on, and that sort of decent, which which the decentralization and the transparency go hand in hand, right? Like it's like if you want to sort of focus on the power of of the people or the masses or the employees, like whatever your your uh, target is, uh, then you want to be more open. You want to share information. Uh, you want to stop predicting about who needs to know what. Uh, I mean, this is sort of off out of like a very different context, but even in the book we cite. Uh, a TED talk given by General Stanley McChrystal, who was in charge of like spy operations in Iraq, to be very different than the Pope. Um, <laughs> and he got more done by declassifying the intelligence that he found. He actually mm. made it, he like he would let his enemies see the information. He'd rather let them see it than to have to guess who needs to see it internally because he'd never guess right and they couldn't move fast enough. And he went from running. 18 operations a month to running 300 operations a month uh, by liberating the information. Um, and so it's one of the, I like to tell that story because I'm like sort of talking to people in organizations. Like if the head of the spy operation in the military can share information, I got to think 
you know, you can too in your little hundred person organization. So, and that is so so counter to what we have always thought yeah. worked best for organizations, no matter what kind of organization. So, what? Why is that? That kind of transparency or that kind of openness working? Do you think? Um, I, I think it's. I, I think we always had the potential for this to work. Um, and this goes back to, to what I wrote about in Humanize. I just think we have been – it's been drilled into our heads that organizations succeed because they are mechanical. We treat them like machines. Um, and if you treat an organization like machine, you will get a certain amount of productivity and, and, and effectiveness out of it. Um, what you will also do, though, is leave a ton of potential on the table. And we've been doing that for a hundred years and sort of not realizing it. Uh, I think I think the social internet has helped sort of open our eyes to potential um, when information because because it enabled us to sort of make information uh, uh, more broadly available on a huge scale, and then we start to see the potential. Um, but this way of organizing, uh, where without managers, without control, um, and with with sharing information. Like that's been available to us for decades, and frankly, people have been arguing that for decades. They just have been losing those arguments. And I think now that we have the internet and we can sort of see it happen, um, it's happening more. And again, we you layer on top of that the millennial generation that, that grew up with the internet, who basically sees that as normal. Like the rest of us are amazed at all the stuff the internet can do. Uh, the millennials just think that's just how it is because that's all they've known. Um, they're going to have a lot less patience for these old ways of doing things. That's that's what Maddie and I found in our research. The millennials are scratching their heads at how we run organizations. Uh, they do not understand why they cannot do more immediately. They yeah. do not understand why information isn't shared. Uh, it just they're not angry about it. They just kind of like, why would you do it that way? Hmm. We have all these other models where you do it differently, and we actually accomplish more. So um, uh, it's I see change happening in a pretty fast way. Uh, once the millennials start to hit uh, that level of authority where they can start to control more resources, I think there's going to be it's going to be like the flip of a switch, and we're going to see some some radically different organizations. And is is technology is the internet the impetus for that kind of change? I think it's I think it's driving our awareness of it, um, and I think it's just I mean the internet. Like as I said, it's not just about marketing and, and communications. Like, and, and maybe this get, has been overstated over the years, but I'm going to stick with my guns on this one. I view it as a real revolution because it is a transfer in the balance of power. Okay, we transferred we had the the entire internet, particularly the social internet, is basically transferred power away from people who have centralized institutions. I mean, centralized power and institutional power, and towards the masses. Yeah. Like it just it gave us power to do things we couldn't do before. That revolution, like that's out of, that's not going back in the bottle, uh, and and that's changed things in a fundamental way. So that without that, when you still needed a bank to get a loan, which you don't need anymore, when you still needed a, a television studio to produce entertainment, which you don't need anymore. Um, it made a little more sense to run organizations in a controlling hierarchical way, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that we have that power, it causes us to question things that we never questioned for the last hundred years. Like, why do we run? Why do we need managers? You know, like Zappos got rid of managers. They're a billion-dollar organization with with fifty 
1,500 employees, and they, they are self-managed now. Um, if like We didn't have that option before, and I, I do think that the social media revolution fueled that because it gave us, gave us tools to do that because sometimes the Internet's a, in, you know, a piece of doing that differently. But it also just gave us the, the model that it can be done. Yeah. Something that I sometimes think about in, in kind of examining the big picture of, of what this, this almost unlimited connectivity that we seem to have. Um, I think 20, 50 years ago, if we could have predicted that, people would have said, oh, it's going to lead to you know, one big happy global family. If we can all be connected and we can all understand each other's problems and each other's issues and we can understand each other's language and we technology is allowing that to happen. But I don't think we're seeing the one big happy family. We are in many ways seeing more – I don't know if it's quite division, more segmentation, tribalism. Mm-hmm. Um do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I just read this morning. Uh, a par- I haven't even finished it because I got linked to it this morning. But the essay by Umer Haq. Have you read this? No. Um, so he he talks about some of the same stuff, which is sort of like he, it's, it's, an, it's an essay about sort of why Twitter is dying, and his his conclusion is because we we sort of abuse each other on it. Like we've we've created all these what he calls ists, you know, economists or uh, environmentalists or whatever that your cause is, sure. and then you you have your cause, and then your role on the internet is to denounce other people who are against you, you know, and to sort of treat them badly, and 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 because that's been sort of the nature of the conversation, people are sort of getting going away from Twitter is part of his argument. But I think under and I don't know about the Twitter example. I'm sort of. I mean, there's another conversation about why Twitter is changing, but it's not as deep, I think, as he's making it. But I do think um, part of this ability to have these sort of universally wide-reaching conversations has not automatically built our capacity to have better conversations, you know. And that's still like that. We still need that. We still need to learn how to be in community with each other. And the the fact that I can be in community with you know a billion people across the across the planet on on online is awesome. Uh, but that doesn't change my my lack of capacity in building community or whether I have it or not. And so I still think we like just because we have this tool does not mean we are ready to use it. Uh, uh, you know, so if we're not ready to use it, then we still need work. We still need, like, you know, so my background is in conflict resolution originally. Um, I got my master's in conflict resolution years ago. So I've been on the, on the, you know, uh, I've been preaching the need for conflict resolution skills in, in organizations for decades. Uh, and now that we have the internet, we need that even more. Um, and so I still think there's, this this tool this 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 opportunity we have is not is not unlimited because and but most of our limits are actually in us you know what i mean yeah it's in it's in our capacity to to build relationships to resolve conflict to have tough conversations in ways that hold multiple perspectives together in the same place even though they're different um we kind of lacked that before, and we lack it now. I think we just sort of see some of that more on a broader scale, uh, or maybe even the tool does lend itself towards pushing us away like that. Uh, and maybe we just have to work harder 
on those soft skills to, uh, to, to knit things back together. Printing press was invented by Johann Gutenberg in 1439. Most would agree that the invention of the printing press made the Protestant Reformation possible, made possible the Renaissance, led to the Enlightenment, led to extreme cultural change but not cultural change that happened quickly, change that happened over centuries, and change that happened through conflict and violence and long periods of very difficult adjustment. I believe that the technology of the internet and the ways that communication technology is changing our culture is very similar to the period of the invention of the printing press. It is unfolding a whole new world for us, but it's not something that happens easily. It's something that will likely be very uncomfortable for us. It will require long periods of adjustment and figuring out of this whole thing, perhaps even conflict, perhaps violence, perhaps we won't have this whole thing figured out for many, many years to come. My name is Mike Finch. I work over at Lee University, uh, and Lee University is a, it's about 5,000 student Christian uh, liberal arts university. Um, I'm a communication and journalism professor, uh, and um, also uh, teach social media and advise their student media. So I'm over the newspaper and stuff like that. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, and I, I just um, finished a Ph.D. from Regent University in communication, um, and the focus of my dissertation was actually Christians who lived during the Soviet era and their stories of resistance. Uh, the actual title of the dissertation is longer and uh, more annoying, uh, you know, does scholar speak in it, but... That's the basic idea. <laughs> That's interesting. So um, we're talking about kind of the big picture of what's going on in the church, and I know, um, at least in the past, that's been a little bit of the focus of some of what you've been looking at, where are we headed, what are we, what are we thinking is important, what are the changes that we're going to see in the near future. And, you know, just as in that, as we look at the church in America kind of as a whole, do you have any kind of basic impressions of what what are the changes that we're seeing and what's what's important for us and what's important for us to be looking at and focused on? Well, I come at this kind of from two angles. The uh, the first angle is as a communication you know professional uh, theorist researcher, and um, from the communication perspective. Um, the idea of um, technological determinism, uh, which is basically the idea that um, communication technology is greatly shaping the way uh, our culture develops. And in shaping the way our culture develops, it's also very much so shaping the way we do church. Um, and so from that perspective, um, 
you know, new technologies, social media in particular, um, and smartphones um, beyond that um, are radically changing the way that we interact with each other. Um, and actually, the, the crazy thing is it's also radically changing potentially the way that we interact with God. So um, that's a shift that I see that's kind of a tectonic shift in the American church where the last time a shift like this happened was the Reformation. Uh, and um, the Reformation, of course, came right after the printing press. The printing press was a major technological change. It allowed for the democratization of information, and um, the Bible became uh, available to the common man. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, you have this massive shift in how people interact with God. It was from you know, a priestly interaction um, in that kind of a setting to um, a personal relationship with God. Um, and um, so really, it's, it's kind of an exciting time. I would say we're in the middle of the transition is the problem. So where will it go? There's a lot of different ideas on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it seems like five, ten years ago, there was a lot of talk about postmodernism um, and some of the Christian thinkers that were talking about that were developing things in the emergent movement in the missional movement um and just a lot of different shapes of church that were mm -hmm. coming out of books and conferences and people's thoughts um but so much of that has kind of faded um do you think those ideas and those thoughts are still relevant have we just changed the way we talk or does it seem like we're headed in, in a different direction? It's a great question. Um, and um, there's a lot of different thinkers out there um, focused on that. The, the emergent church has sort of, um, from my perspective, largely like worked itself into a grave from a couple different texts. Um, it was a great movement. Um, the movement was, um, I mean, it, it had, it was really multifaceted, uh, but, um, you know, seemed to be characterized by, um, churches that wanted to get into their community, um, have, you know, real relationship do you know, focus more on some social justice issues, things like that. Um, and, um, theologically what that meant, well, that's a, that's a big discussion, but, um, Unfortunately, some of those movements within the emergent church followed the path of really the um, the social justice movement of the 60s, um, which was they, you know, became more focused on the work that they were doing and um, forgot about why they were doing it to some extent. Um, and so have, have really just sort of loosed the moors from scripture. Um, and so that, and really historically, I, I was a part of the Methodist church for a long time. Um, actually, technically, I'm probably still a, a member of a Methodist church somewhere. And um, the Methodist church is, is a great case study in watching that kind of thing happen. Um, within the Methodist church, you have evangelical Bible-focused churches, and you have churches that have, you know, really just totally gone social justice. And some of them, they don't really even, I mean, the Bible is just kind of a, a, a nice storybook. Um, and the churches that are growing are the more strongly 
evangelical, and when I say evangelical, that has so much baggage. I hate, I hate that it does, but, um, the, the ones that are more focused on, on Christ and on sharing the gospel and on, uh, scripture, um, they're growing still. Uh, the ones that, that lose the more from scripture, um, they basically decline. Now it takes years and years to see that kind of thing, but the trajectory is just those churches die and the ones that focus on scripture um, survive and sometimes thrive. Um, and so that's sort of where I see the emergent church going. It's, it's uh, in an attempt sometimes to become relevant, sometimes to fight for causes, all kinds of things, um, has, has gone down that same exact path as the social justice movement of the 60s. What about, you know, we saw some, we saw some statistical um, research, I think, the beginning of this year from Pew about church attendance and affiliation and really saw declines in every um, church affiliation, I think, except traditional black churches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, what's your impression of that? I, I, it, it seems to me that whenever we hear... Well, everybody likes to say everybody else is declining for these reasons, except sure. for the thing I believe. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and um, and that's a great point. Um, really, the um, I find that, and this is where technological determinism does come back in. Um, the millennial generation, which really kind of skipped emergent, was like pre-millennial they never got on board with that train or a few of them did but um and so the emergent church was a part of the transition uh from my perspective and they were experimenting and really like i said i really respect the emergent movement there were a lot of great things that happened within it but some of their main leaders is what i was more talking about with kind of following the path of the social justice movement of the 60s um but the actual movement itself great time of experimentation great time of you know seeking god in new ways cool stuff so that was a transition to the millennials now um and i work with them every day um and we're soon going to get to the the generation like or generation z or whatever you want to call it the current generation of uh people who were born um right around 2000 and um, have grown up completely digital natives, completely wireless natives, all those kinds of things. Um, This generation um, is much more entrenched in media and um, which it's a different type of media. The older form was mass media um, and mass media led to mass culture. So everybody sort of was going one way or another way. And um, churches sort of followed that mass media form. And actually, the successful churches right now are following a mass media format still. Um, And like Hillsong Church is a mass media church. Um, And um, they have a... I actually just went to Hillsong Conference this summer. It was phenomenal. And um, really interesting um, people. um, But they're... Their church is a, is a mass media format. Now it's an entertainment format, which is a very important thing to media in this generation. And, um, so it also works in that respect. Um, but they, you know, they've really got a good core and um, do try to take people deeper than the entertainment. Um, so this generation, um, is, has one of the hardest things to cope with. Um, in the history of the world, I would say, in the history of of, uh, of, of the faith, which is um, 
universal information availability. Um, and a child of, I remember when my two-year-old was one, um, he could swipe through our iPad and find his favorite apps and play his favorite games at one years old, one year old. You know, he, he couldn't even, um, he can't still eat. He's just now figuring out how to eat with a spoon, Mm -hmm. but he could swipe through an iPad. So, um, the technology is just ubiquitous, you know, it's everywhere. And, um, and young people are engaging in it, but they're, they're, they have a universal knowledge available to them. And, you know, truth, lies, spin, entertainment, hate, you know, sexuality, when they're 10 years old, you know, they're being exposed to these kinds of things. And, um, to me, statistics like that, um, you know, 70 to 75% of Christian men, um, deal with, um, struggle with pornography issues, um, and, um, statistics about the youth generation, um, that, you know, 90 plus percent of adolescent boys, um, have been exposed to, um, to pornography. Um, those kinds of things are creating a real tension within the culture, um, of Christianity. And, um, so, I mean, that's just one aspect of that universal knowledge, you know, Kids nowadays are much smarter than my generation was. You know, we had so much less to think about and so much, so many fewer tools. I mean, we had encyclopedias. Remember yeah. those, you know? <laughs> and, uh, That's how we wrote and, reports. Uh, yeah. Yep. And, uh, index cards in the library. Um, and they can just Google anything that they want to. So, um, with that universal knowledge, uh, and, the entrenchment in media. Um, I just think that, that, um, kids are able to, uh, are, are being asked to become an adults at a much younger age, um, and are seeing the, um, that the emperor is naked. <laughs> you know, they, they see all of the humanity of the church, which is a really difficult thing to grasp. You know, that, that, um, your parents, your pastor, everybody are just human. Um, and uh, those kinds of realities are making it much harder for young, uh, young people to adhere to this thing, you know, because they just, um, they're overwhelmed with all these other things. And the other side of that is relationship. Intimacy is, um, is being greatly diminished. Um, and so instead of, you know, what was a, a Pentecostal church like, or a, uh, even just evangelical church, like even just 20 years ago, there was a Wednesday night service. There was a youth service on Saturday night or Sunday night or Friday night. Um, there were, there was a Sunday morning, you know, something, there was a Saturday morning men's breakfast and women's breakfast and people were at the church all the time. And um, actually, my the church that I'm currently attending just canceled its Wednesday night service um, because people aren't going. What are they doing? They're at home on their phones and, and doing other things like that. And so the breakdown of literal community, of individual personal relationships with young people um, is 
um, and then the opportunity for them to have this universal knowledge of other things and all kinds of enticements um, on the other side um, is um, just, you know, allowing them to, um, and then, you know, and then a, there is sort of a mass culture that's uh, offering them a lot of other ideas um, that seem really valid, and so they're getting on board with a lot of that, and it just gives them a lot of reasons to go away. Yeah. You know, I I speak with a fair number of people about um, kind of predicting what are, what are we seeing in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, um, you know, and I, I hear a variety of answers, but as you were talking, it, it struck me that maybe one of our problems is um, the people that we look to for predictions are somewhat removed from so much of this that you're talking about. Do you think that's an issue that, you know, those who are, who are predicting, oh, this is what church is going to look like, are not the millennial generation that's been immersed in a certain type of lifestyle, and they don't completely understand... You know, when we say, when somebody says, oh, we're going to be doing house churches in 20 years, or oh, no, we're still going to be doing the big auditorium type churches, or whatever it is, do we do we have a problem that we don't completely understand where the culture is going because we're removed from the culture of the generations that are emerging? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I think a lot of the theorists have, are, are you know, are predicting things that, that make sense. Um, but, um, really this generation doesn't know where it's going, <laughs> you know, they're in transition. I, 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 that's actually one of, that is the characteristic, uh, of, of this generation is it is a transitional generation. Hmm. And, um, as long as we make it through the transition, uh, you know, humanity is going to look radically different in 20 years. Um, and really where we're headed uh, as a church and as, as, as humans is really in, in some ways very kind of, it, it's scary, but there could be great opportunities. Um, and what, do, what are the implications for the church of, you know, cyborgism, you know, and really kind of like, are we currently today, um, somewhat storing our identity and, um, using our smartphones as, as a part of our uh, thinking process, hmm. you know, it's like, so, um, so yeah, that's, that's actually the, if I was to only, if I was to give one characteristic of this generation is it's a transitional generation still. Um, and we have not settled. And so any prediction in a transitional generation uh, could have merit, you know, it could be based on, you know, some trajectory, um, from different ideas, and uh, but it, it it may or may not work out because we're in the transition. You know, yeah. <laughs> who would have predicted the Reformation when the printing press came around? Yeah. So, what do we need to do with um, the way we, we respond to change and to so many know, things that are changing and emerging in? technology as well as culture and the way people interact. It seems to me that so often the church has been on the side of preserve the old and reject the new. Um, and that is usually the wrong side to be, we find out a few years later. Right. Um, 
so as you know, as we're seeing changes in the way people interact with technology, and you know, as as you were talking about the the idea of of cyborg that that's going to sound crazy probably to some listeners, but you know. I can just imagine the preacher who hears that and and says, "Oh, that's 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 a horrible thing. You're taking the soul out of humanity, and um, or whatever." Right. Mm-hmm. But but so much of it is inevitable. Um, how do we respond? How do we react? How do we prepare ourselves for change? Yeah, and embrace and it in the right way. Yeah, it's um, it's a really difficult question. The things that I would probably focus on. Personal, actually, the things that I try to focus on are there are some things that we have to value from the old. So without our history, without – and actually one of the um, – I don't know. There's a book, Ancient Future Faith, um, and uh, one of the scholars that predicted this stuff, I think in the late 90s, said that um, basically technology is going to um, move people back to um, more liturgical modes – and um, basically back to the, ki- the kinds of interactions that we had in the, the pre-modern or the, pre- the pre-literate even um, times. Now, um, to me, that was only a singular strain, but um, we do have to remember sometimes. We do have to go back. And the things that the church um, should really focus on right now to maintain relevance is actually sometimes old school intimacy, not you know, not uh, sexual or relational like that, but intimacy between people, intimacy between friends, caring relationships um, is is a hallmark of, of, you know, a good church is to have really good relationships. And this generation, because of digital technology, um, often has diluted relationships. You know, they might have 2,000 friends, quote, um, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever. Um, but, um, or Tumblr followers or 20,000. I have students who have had 20,000 or more Twitter followers and things like that. Um, but who do they actually know? Who actually cares about them and cares deeply? So yeah. the, the old thing would be definitely to, to maintain relational bonds and actually like reject some of the new technology stuff and, and, uh, and say, we're going to do relationship well. Navigating both technology and relationships and change and the world around us seems so difficult. We are in an exciting time, though, where we are seeing things shift and things change. And we're able to continually embrace new things and see how the world develops around us. I hope that you are able to continually discover new ways to both embrace what is new and to deepen and strengthen relationships with people. If you'd like to know more about the contributors to today's episode, please check our show notes at mediascorchpodcasts.com. Please also take a minute to rate us on iTunes and feel free to leave some comments and let us know what you think of today's show. 
Check out the other shows on the Media Scorch Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.